It's good to see you guys. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico, and welcome. We are in the Ten Commandments. We're coming to the end this week and then next week, so it's approaching the end. And I want to frame what we're going to talk about today. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Back into something that we talked about a long time ago, which is the covenantal context of the Ten Commandments. We can easily forget that. This isn't just an abstracted list of rules, but it's in the context of a covenant or a formalized relationship that Israel has with God. And so as God pulls Israel out of Egypt and establishes himself as their God, the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, He then says, I'm going to give you this land where I'm going to be, and here is how you are to live in the land. And the Ten Commandments are summarized by Jesus as love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we are into this kind of second half of the Ten Commandments, we're looking at the law of love how God intended for Israel to love their neighbor in the land. And specifically today, we're talking about truthfulness. Why do we lie? It's universal. Everybody lies. Every culture lies. Every people group lies. Why do we lie? One of the things that is really heartbreaking as a parent of young kids is that first time that you see your child knowingly deceive you. Now, it's heartbreaking, at least for me, for this reason, is because I, as my child's father, want to be able to hear the truth. I want a relationship that is secure. And when one of my children lies, it's communicating trust is broken. You see, truth and trust go together. And that's why this is part of the Ten Commandments. That's why it's part of this covenant. Is because God is saying, the relationship that I have made you for is one of trust. Where the truth is not hidden. The truth is not twisted. The truth is not done away with. And so as we open up this text, I want us to think about that. I want us to think about that context of truth and how it relates to trust. Why do we lie? We lie because we don't trust And when we don't trust, we become untrustworthy, and it's a vicious cycle. I'm going to go ahead and read from Exodus 20 to ground us in God's Word. And again, verses 1 and 2 are the framework. They're the preamble to the covenant. And so we always read this as we're going through it. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Please pray with me. Father, help us. We need you. We need your word to bring light into the darkness of this world, the darkness of our hearts, the darkness of our minds, because we have been infected by lies. And so, Lord, just as it sometimes is disorienting when you're used to the dark and the light comes on, it can be disorienting for us to get used to the truth. And so, Lord, we depend on your graciousness. We depend on your tenderness, that you know us, and you reveal your truth to us for our benefit. And so, Lord, we ask that we would trust you this morning, (laughs) that we would receive from you what you have in your word. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first lie there's a question that somebody asked me as I was getting ready for this. It's like, what is the first lie in the Bible? I was like, it's a good question. And at first I thought it was Adam and Eve. But there was one before that. Did God really say that you should not eat of any tree or any fruit of the trees in the garden? That's the serpent talking to Adam and Eve. Specifically addressing that question to Eve, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any of these fruit trees? He knew that's not what God said. God gave them all the fruit trees to eat of, and then there is one. He said, don't eat of this one because the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, that tree was the knowledge of good and evil. It was the ability to determine good and evil on their own apart from from trusting God. And they took, and they ate, and then they lied. Where are you? We are hiding because we're naked. That's a lie. They weren't hiding because they were naked. They were hiding because they were afraid, because God was coming in judgment, and they were guilty. Why did you eat of the, tr- of the tree, Adam? Well, it was the woman's fault. Lie. He wanted it. That's why he ate. Why did you eat, Eve? The serpent, again, lie. She saw it, that it was appealing. She took it because she wanted it, and she ate it to become wise. That's why she ate. But you can see how the beginning of lies leads to more lies. And pretty soon, you end up where we are. What is truth? We're post-truth. Our society, our culture is so sophisticated that we know that truth is too complex to even speak of. And so it's fragmented. And we're all living our truth. It's all subjective now. It's all piecemeal. And it's broken down. Well, Scripture speaks about this. And I want to look at what is actually happening when we lie and kind of zoom out. We'll get into the nitty-gritty a little bit, but I really want to zoom out and pay attention to kind of like this more meta-narrative of lying because it's really important 
If you don't understand it, you won't think it's a big deal. And you'll just be like, yeah, I know, I lie. Everybody lies. It's okay. White lies. Like, they're okay. But that's not how Jesus saw it. Jesus saw it a little bit differently. When he was talking to some of the people who were rejecting him, some of the people who were falsely accusing him, who were lying about him, he said this. This is in John 8. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So Jesus is speaking some truth. And it's this massive picture of lies and truth. And what he does is really interesting because he identifies your genealogy, where you come from, according to whether you tell the truth or whether you lie. When you lie, you are a child of the devil. When you tell the truth, you are a child of God. So it's much worse than we first thought. It's not just telling a little lie. There are certain things in um, the Bible that we think are kind of like, okay, yeah, they're a little bit bad, but they're mostly respectable. This isn't as bad as committing adultery. This isn't as bad as murdering. But in the same breath, Jesus is showing how they go together. And how you, when you lie, you identify yourself as a child of the devil. He's the father of lies. He's the father of deceit. And so I want to talk about really quickly, give you four categories to think about lying. Four different ways that we lie. We're going to go through them pretty quickly because that's not the point here. But it's important to think about because we deceive ourselves. We're going to talk about that. But you can lose sight of the fact that you're even lying after a while. You kind of let go of the truth. And so here are the four categories. You lie about other people. That's explicitly what this commandment is about. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. So you're lying about someone else. You're saying that they did something that they didn't do. You're saying that they are something that they are not. You're lying about other people. And specifically in this commandment, there's a maliciousness to it. Because someone who is innocent, this is what it has in mind, someone who is innocent is being found guilty because of your words. They're going to face a punishment because of what you said. 
And imagine the amount of fear, the amount of hatred, the amount of loathing that it would take to do that in an official capacity. Societies crumble because of this kind of stuff. If we can't trust our neighbor in the most basic ways, the fabric of society falls apart. So that's what happens when we lie about other people. But we also lie to other people. We don't just lie about other people, we lie to other people. So we withhold truth, we deceive, we twist the truth, we embellish, we diminish, we deflect. All these different ways, they are basic deceit of how we twist the truth when we're talking to other people. And we do it all the time. I think one of the times that is probably the most, or one of the most common times about lying to other people, and we'll also talk about this when we're talking about lying about yourself too, is in a professional setting. But not just in a professional setting. In any kind of setting where you feel like your identity is on the line. There is a great temptation to lie to someone. Because you want to look better than you are. So in a professional setting, it might be in the context of trying to get a promotion and lying to the hiring committee or the committee that's making the decisions about that, embellishing what you've done, what you're capable of. Just twisting the truth just a little bit so that you get promoted. Why? Because somewhere in your heart, you depend on it. You depend on it. You need it. What about if you're a parent and you're talking about other, two other parents and your identity is wrapped up in how good of a parent you are and then all of a sudden you start telling stories about what you were doing with your kids and you just subtly leave some details out to make yourself look much better. Or you just, you know, change some of the facts to make yourself look way better than you are. It's attached to something deeper. There's a need there. There's an insecurity that's at work and is kind of giving voice to so many of our lives. And then there's lying about ourselves and lying to ourselves. Again, we've, they, they, there's overlap in here because as we're lying to others, we're often lying about ourselves but there's a fear and a selfishness that's at work when we're lying about ourselves. We don't want people to see the truth. We don't want people to see the reality, so we change it with our words. We paint a different picture. And we lie to ourselves. There's, there's immense pressure on us to lie because of what Jesus identifies. There is a figure. There is a spiritual being who is the father of all lies and pulls people, pulls societies, pulls culture into partnering him with him in lying because he's trying to undermine the truth of what God has done. 
Here's one of the ways, and I don't want to get too distracted on this, but I think it's a great example because it's relevant and most, if not all of you, face it every day of how we are pressured to lie. And it's specifically about lying about who we are as humans. Lying about who we are as humans. Every day we do this. In a lot of different ways. But here's one, because I don't think you're convinced that we actually do this. Here's one. Pressure to call what God has created to be man. Pressure to call that woman. Pressure to call what God has created woman, man. Right? We get this pressure Immense pressure. Why is there so much pressure on it? Well, it's because there's a subtle undermining of truth. And so you get this pressure from your workplaces, from your friends, from the culture, from the media, everywhere. And there's immense pressure to lie. There's immense pressure to lie, though, in multiple ways. There's immense pressure to just kind of like go along and say, okay, I'll, I'll say whatever, just leave me alone. I will say that what God has made is actually something else. Just leave me alone. But then there's other pressure. There's pressure to just be a jerk. There's pressure to tear down. There's pressure to not understand. There's pressure to tap into one part of God's truth and completely leave out immense other parts of God's truth. There's pressure to lie about who you are. Say, I'm not going to do that because I'm righteous. I'm right. I know better. That's a lie about who you are. So I think that's a good example because it's something that is relevant to our lives. And we're pulled in multiple directions. And I think many, if not most, or all Christians are kind of like, what do we do here? I want to love, but I want to be truthful. I want to be compassionate, but I don't want to deceive. And here's why this is important. I am the same. You are all the same as the people that want to twist and turn what God has revealed and say it's something else. Here's how I would do it. I live in a world where I am entitled to a life where my comfort does not get inhibited. Now, I don't have a whole movement behind that. I don't have a whole group of people saying, yay, for Nate's comfort, right? And I'm so glad that I don't. But because it would just push me farther along that path of lying to myself, that that's something I deserve. Because what it implies underneath it, it's like, I'm God. I deserve this. I exalt myself over the life that God has given me, and I put myself on the throne. And so, as Christians, we have to understand that 
Lying is never the way of love. Deceit is never how we love our neighbor. But neither is beating people up with part of the truth and leaving out the better part. This applies not just in one or two areas. This applies universally. I was reminded of that. I was listening to one of my favorite songs um, by a, a really good storyteller. And the name of the song is Liars. So I thought, okay, I'll listen to this, see what it says. Well, the artist puts a story that is universal, but he uses kind of like a typical American boy progression. And he starts out this boy with buying baseball cards with his allowance. And he buys these baseball cards because those are his heroes. And they fulfill him in some way. So he buys the baseball cards. The boy gets a little older. And in the song, he sells his baseball cards. What does he buy? He buys clothes. Because, you know, you become a teenager and then you become really sensitive about what other people think you look like and you want to look like something else. And you're saying, I need to belong. I need to be cool. So I'm going to sell what used to be valuable to me and get this instead. So now he has clothes. But then he hears a call. Here's the call of land. The hills call to him. So he sells his clothes to buy some land. And after you graduate college, you sell your clothes. You don't care about that as much anymore. And you buy land. Because when I have this land, then I'll belong. Then I will have control. Then I'll have security. And then he's in a city. After he's bought his land, he's operating in a city and he's riding a train. And on the train, he meets a figure. And the figure is talking to everybody. And as the story in the song portrays this character, he's kind of looking out. And then he looks over and he sees this figure. And he says, you're pointing out my halo. With a big, bony finger on a six-fingered hand. Disfigurement. Accusation. Pointing at something. A halo. You were made for something else. But now you're living a different life. And so he sells his land to buy dreams. And he says, yeah, I'm sort of happy most of the time. I'm sort of happy most of the time. The song ends with a lament. I think it's repeated 14 times. Now we are just liars. Now we are just liars. Now we are just liars. What he's doing is he's showing us that a way to look at the human story is this progression of deceit. Progression that, hey, we're living for something and we can achieve it ourselves but then you meet an accuser who reminds you of what you were made for, reminds you of your potential, reminds you that you used to be the little boy who had a baseball card. Nothing can satisfy you. So you just pretend. You live a lie, pretending like everything's great, pretending like you're happy, pretending like you're satisfied, 
you are just a liar. It's an uplifting song. That's how it ends. A minor chord on the violin. So what hope is there for liars like us? We all do this. And this is, this is the answer to that question. How do Christians live in this world? How do we live a life of love and compassion? Well, first of all, you have to see yourself in that story. You have to know how you are living a lie. And then you have to meet someone better than the accuser. Our lies have broken that covenant. That covenant that God made with Israel. Broken it. Here's how to live in my land. Nope, keep lying. We live a lie. It's fractured. And so God declares something. He speaks something. And what he speaks became flesh. The truth that God speaks became flesh. He dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life. He lived without any deceit in him. And so that covenant made with Israel was fulfilled by one Israelite, Jesus. Fulfilled perfectly. And then with his death, with his resurrection, With the truth that he speaks, he brings a new covenant that is unbreakable. Why is it unbreakable? Why is it that now we can still say that our relationship with God is secure when this covenant with Israel was broken time and time again and they got exiled, they got punished? Well, because this new covenant, friends, it's not made with you. It's not dependent on you. The truth that God speaks about you is that you belong to Him through Christ. His faithfulness, not yours. His truthfulness, not yours. His righteousness, not yours. And you're brought into that by trusting. By receiving that truth and trusting it, you're brought into it. And here's what that means. 1 John 3. It should be up there on the screen as well. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This is the answer to that musician's portrayal of the human experience. Now we're just liars. Now we're just liars. Now we're just liars. God says, now you are children. And so you are. We are now connected to the perfect life of Christ, to his perfect truthfulness. But we exist, continue to exist in a world that doesn't know us. That's what very next thing that John says. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. 
And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So in here, here's how, here's how to respond. Here's how to respond to a world where you feel the burden of your own lies, where you feel the accuser pointing that finger at you. You're a liar. You're pretending. Here's how to respond to a world that wants you to join in in rebellion to God. You know this truth. You ground yourself in this truth that you are his child because of Jesus. Because Jesus has called you into this covenant that's eternal, that's unbreakable, that is perfected in him. You know that truth. Experience it. Seek it out. Remind yourself of it over and over and over again. And then use that to live God's truth. Live in that story. Don't live in the story of selling everything that you have and transitioning to the next longing that your heart thinks will satisfy it. Don't live in that story. Reject it. Don't go there. Be fulfilled by being a child. And then live from that. And then, yes, speak it. The best way to honor the ninth commandment, the best way to partner with God in what he intends with it is to speak this truth. Know it, live it, speak it. Speak this truth. That yes, this world is full of liars. This world is full of sinners. This world is full of people who have rebelled and broken the covenant that God has made with them. But there is one. There is one faithful one who offered himself for you, for me. Speak that truth. Do not shy away from it, friends. Believe that it has life. When Jesus was meeting opposition in his earthly ministry, people were leaving him left and right. And so he looks at the disciples and he says, you guys going to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where will this world go if we don't speak this truth? if we don't show them how God loves the world by sending his son, they will only know that if the church stewards that. And so forget everything else for a moment and make this truth the one with the capital T that governs how you live and how you speak, how you relate Because this is the answer to the accuser that everyone has. The universal accuser that we have in our minds is saying, you were made for something better than this. And you've spoiled it. And now you're just pretending. And you can look at that accuser and say, you're absolutely right. But God has loved me and redeemed me. And now I'm a child of God. And I'm living like a child of God with the hope that he is coming back 
And what we don't see right now, we will see. It will be revealed. How magnificent he is making his people. How it's not up to us, but he has finished it. And he brings us into this story, this truest story that's ever been told. And he's redeeming the world with it. And so as you leave here, think about that. I want us to grow with a burden, a desire, a longing to share this as good news. We forget sometimes it's good news. And that people really respond to it and believe it. I was one of those people who heard it as an adult, responded and believed. There's people in this church that are only here because someone told them that truth. And so think about who you can continue to believe needs this truth and how you can share it with them. But only share it from that place of knowing it and living it and then sharing it. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have not abandoned us, that you have not given up this world to living in lies, living according to a lie, but that you have given us truth, Lord, but you show us that the most powerful truth, the most ultimate truth, it's governed by who you are. It's compassionate. It's merciful. It's gracious. It's loving. And so, Lord, we as your people, we seek to embody that. I ask that you would help us, that you would grow us up into maturity in that way, that we would know how to speak, that we would know how to be salt and light through our words, that you would give us opportunities to share of your love, Lord, that we would not be discouraged, that we would not be faint-hearted, but that we would trust ourselves, trust you, trust you and trust our identity as your children as we do that. Lord, I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.